0: Hello! Today I have a bonus podcast episode for you. I receive a lot of questions from listeners through various media, email, Facebook, Twitter, the discussion forum, and it's usually hard to get time to type out answers to all of these, especially when the issue raised is rather complex. I have decided to answer as many of these as I can through some special Q&A podcast episodes. For these episodes, I have recruited the help of some of my students to sit down and discuss these issues with me. This first session was recorded before the end of the semester. Joining me on this day were an enthusiastic bunch of Tolkien students. Carolyn Knuth, Kelly Tapada, Mac Boyle, Rachel Field, Will Malkus, and Eve Nealon. I should also warn you that this recording came out quite loud in most places, so especially if you're listening on an iPod, you want to turn your volume down in the next five seconds. Anyway, Rachel starts us off with our first question.
1: So our first question is, um, are goblins and orcs the same?
0: Right. Now, one the, the first place that where this is introduced, of course, one major trend is that the word goblin is mostly used in The Hobbit and the word orc is mostly used in The Lord of the Rings. So in part, it seems at least in part to be a pure language thing, That is, he's using simpler, more common, more juvenile language in The Hobbit, and so he uses the word goblin, which is the more traditional and kind of fairy tale uh, version though the word orc is used once in the Hobbit, and there when he introduces it in the Hobbit, it seems to be uh, not a racial distinction or like a different breed or anything like that, but actually just a size difference. That is when he's talking about uh, he says that even the very large goblins, a positive, the great orcs of the mountains, in a positive, uh, can, you know can run at high speeds even while bent over very low is the the, the context. So it it, it's, it suggests that you know the really you know the really big ones are called orcs. And there's another passage, um, I actually just in rereading chapter three of book three, the Mary and Pippin being dragged across Rohan chapter, uh, in the, in the Lord of the Rings, which I was just reading for class. Um, it uses the word goblins a couple times, but Mary and Pippin will often call them goblins because you know they're, they're, they're hobbits, and hobbits seem to use the word goblin most. though orc is being used of this when when uh, when Aragorn and, and Gimli and Legolas and and Aemir are talking about them, they call them orcs all the time. Um, so that it seems to be kind of interchangeable. Um, it's clear that there are. Different species of orcs. I mean, they talk about the black uruks of Mordor, and clearly you have the uruk-hai, which you know is sort of the little orc eugenics experiment that Sauron mm-hmm. has going on. Um, so there definitely are different breeds, and it does seem to be the smaller, uh, the smaller orcs of of the Misty Mountains, which are referred to not by Merry and Pippin, but by the narrator at one point there in Chapter Three as goblins. Um, so it seems to be, I don't know, like a diminutive thing, but I'm not sure that you, you can say like orcs look like this and goblins look like that and they're totally different things.
2: Well, what's, what's interesting is I was just wondering, it maybe it's kind of like goblins are to orcs as hobbits are to elves and then like orcs are to Urukai as elves are to humans.
3: So, are you suggesting that (laughs) goblins are made out of hobbits? No, I'm saying
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying this is interesting. And if goblins are like, if goblins are the small ones, then they're like hobbits, and then orcs are made from elves, so they're like elves, and then urukai are part man.
0: I'm so lost. Yeah, I totally lost the the last part of the analogy too. It is true. Now, goblins, all of them, like as a as a as a as a species, they are um, presumably. Uh, in the pri- in the dominant uh, story mm. uh, derived from elves, and so mm-hmm. the different subspecies or, su- or races of, of orcs that exist um, would clearly be differences akin to the differences between the different races of men.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, in that way.
4: I was going to say, I think it's more like the difference between the men of Gondor and the men of Bree. Like, they're right. just a little right. bit different, but right. different potato potato. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, you've got the, the high. I mean, if Faramir introduces the terms we're talking about: men, talking about the the high men and the lower men, and uh, and he uses the word middlemen. Uh, you know that mm-hmm. the Gondorians are no longer high and they've become middlemen uh, of the twilight. So, um, <coughs> so you, 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 you <laughs> get Funny. different no, grades. Could um,
1: Goblin be like a regional thing then, because mostly we see the goblins in the Misty
0: I'm, Mountains. Are
3: no, the yeah. goblins in the Misty Mountains under the direction of Sauron? Well, because it could be that it's more of a, a nationality,
0: right? Like a ge- that is geographically rather than yeah. sort of ethnically based. Yeah the, the, yeah, the
3: orcs that live in Mordor and get bossed around by Sa- uh, by Saruman are orcs, and the ones that are uh, like a separate political entity are the goblins,
0: right? Um, possibly. I mean, again, it seems it seems to me to have its origin linguistically, like again in the the, 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 the completely different kind of linguistic register that the Hobbit. As a book operates on, um, and the word goblin is still used, but it's in the vast minority, even of the Misty Mountain uh, creatures in question, um, in the Lord of the Rings. So that's why I mean, my, my primary uh, response is always just to say, I think it's just a, it's just a, essentially a synonym, which um, is sort of used in different times and in different like, under different circumstances, like the targeting of the hobbit, and in uh, by different people, as in, like, the, the hobbits talking about them instead of uh, instead of elves or dwarves talking about them. But...
1: So, technically, they're all orcs. I, but I, sometimes I, you call them goblins, depending on who you are it, and where they're from. And that's if you feel like it. Maybe
0: it's a racial slur. That seems to be... Well, it seems to be at least, like, a personal slur. <laughs> that is, like, if you're puny, you might be called a goblin <laughs> instead of an orc. Um, but I... Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, Carolyn, that does seem to be the way primarily that it's done in the Lord of the Rings. I mean, that that seems to be a fair description there. Though again, in the Hobbit, it's the other way. It's the right. other way around. They're, they're goblins right. um, by default, and only orcs. The, the word orc is only used once or twice. So. Um, that and that difference to me is the primary thing, which suggests to me that that's really what mainly really lies behind it. Yeah,
4: but I mean, if you told a child that they're captured by a troop of orcs, they probably won't understand it. Like mm-hmm. It makes sense, really. Right.
0: Yeah. Goblins yeah. needs less less explanation. I mean, it, it makes mm-hmm. sense to use it in a children's book for that reason, especially. I mean, remember one of the um, one of the major uh, fantasy writers of the previous generation was George MacDonald. Um, uh, the the princess and the goblin i mean the goblins Mm -hmm. are are heavily involved in 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 the Curdy books so um Mm -hmm. that would have been something that would have been familiar to a large portion of the hobbit reading audience uh in the 30s so it makes perfect sense for him to have chosen that word initially um and then but of course the word goblin is not really fully integrated into the linguistic system you know that he that he has has built whereas orc is derived more from uh is, is more consistent it's a it's it, it's an Anglo-Saxon word, so it, um, it, it fits in better uh, with sort of the, li- li- the linguistic economy of the, wor- of the world that he subcreates sort
2: of I remember when I was reading, uh, when I read The Hobbit when I was little, and then when I read The uh, Lord of the Rings, I thought the difference was where they, where they dwelled, basically. because right. the, I, I, And I guess the movies propagate this because when they're in Moria, you know, the ghost of the door, he says, goblins. And I always thought it meant that goblins lived underground. Yeah. and the orcs lived above ground because the ones in the Misty Mountain are goblins and they live underground. They and them, there's not a lot of mention of like the orcs of mortar. They live in like towers and on the, and on the the, the plains. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and it's
4: they make them look different in the
0: movies. Yes, yeah. yeah. In the movies, they are very self-conscious about developing yeah. very different sort of strains and races of, of orcs, mm-hmm. and they use the word orc and goblin uh, very differentially, you know, to apply to mm-hmm. the different races. It doesn't seem to me that that line is drawn that clearly. Um, that is the line between Orc and Goblin specifically, um, though there do seem to be. I mean, in the in chapter three, we, we, we probably spend longest with Orcs in that passage where Mary and Pippin are being dragged across Rohan. And um, there we do see three clearly different, and not just with different loyalties, but physiologically different. Uh, orcs that the Misty Mountain orcs are smallest. Um, Grishnak and the orcs of Mordor are a little bit larger, but they tend to be like you know like shorter and longer armed, and um, and the the Urukai of, of, of Isengard are much much you know by far the largest of the three. Um, so even there we do see que- I mean there are clear clear differences, um, and I can certainly understand why for the sake of simplicity. Um, the filmmakers sort of took those words and used them as very sort of discrete labels. Um, the movies aren't canon, so we can't really... Right, well, exactly. But this is, I think, one of the main reasons why this question tends to be confusing to people who then come to the books, because it is pretty clear in the movies. In the movies, you can tell the difference. There's a goblin over there and there's an orc over there, and it's it's not... um, Therefore, it gets kind of confusing when the words seem to be as they are often, used apparently interchangeably.
1: The words seem to give us more information linguistically than scientifically. You know, it's just um, um,
0: ethnographically. Yeah, it seems to be
1: more like a level of sinisterness. Yeah,
0: yeah. Than than anything else. Yeah.
4: I always remember the goblins from the nineteen seventies animated (laughs) version (laughs) of (laughs) the kids.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. Their creepy songs. Yeah
0: where there's a whip there's a waist on <laughs> kicks butt
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's not The
0: Hobbit that's in The Return of the King the animated Return of the King okay I'll we should move on to the just second just question, question.
1: are there any details about the lands to the east of Mordor
3: no but there should be I don't know what those blue wizards are up to that's where they went right
0: yep yep that's where they are um the blue wizards. Uh, in the similar... Uh, uh, they're, they're the wizards. Yeah, there are five wizards total, uh, and the two of them are the blue wizards. Um it must be
1: very boring. Nothing happens. They're hanging out with the... Ancestors. Maybe the blue wizards yeah, are just yeah. so much... more yeah, complicated. On the,
0: the one thing that we know about the land's east of Mortar in the Third Age is that it's, they're populated by humans. So the, there, there are lots of men out there, huge nations of men, um, who have mostly, partially, we don't know how many there are, so we don't know what percentage, but anyway, that's where most of Sauron's armies come from. Many of them come up from the south, uh, the Haradrim come up from... From the south, but they're also the, the Easterlings are are mentioned. And in the history of of, of Gondor, if you read in Appendix A, um, the sort of back history of the, the earlier Third Age history of Gondor from uh, from the establishment of the kingdom onwards, they're always fighting against Easter. I mean, there's like nations of people who will wander in from the east and, and cause huge trouble, like the ones? wing riders they were called, which means they ride chariots.
2: Are they the ones with the Oliphants?
0: The, the east old ones come from the south. I okay. think. I think they come from Herod, mm. but uh, um, but uh, maybe from the east as well. I mean, the east. Yeah. it's south presumably east. huge. I mean, there's there's no um, there's no clear sense of how uh, large the continent goes on. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but anyway, so it's the source of the majority of Sauron's armies, and one of the there are very few places where he talks about what the blue wizards were or were not up to out there in the east. But um, the one place, one of the places where he does talk about it, basically, he like, said their job was to, to go out and to work in those eastern lands, basically to try to help cut off Sauron's support, basically. To, 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 to get them to. Re- well, <laughs> see, exactly. They, that basically, they. The, they just uh, died. Probably.
3: Or maybe they actually were relatively successful, and in Sauron in only has a small percentage of them.
0: That's another I – mean, he basically proposes or implies both things at different points. Uh, never does he write the story of the two blue wizards. There is one place where he says they were they were probably failures and became, like, the heads of, li- of, of like, uh, you know – Cults of witchcraft and stuff like that. Or there are other places, there's another place where he gives them names which imply that they actually were really effective or comparatively effective out in the East and that things would have been far, far worse had the blue wizards not been doing whatever they were doing out there. But he never really specifies this. And I'm actually, uh, probably the wizards are the number one thing that I keep getting asked about by email and stuff so I actually plan to do like a like nothing but wizards (laughs) uh uh session in which I just talk about that so I'm gonna I'll come back to the blue wizards in in a later uh in a later session and I'll read some of the passages that I'm alluding to where he mentions them um though again never tells the full story but anyway that's that's the main thing that we know about the east is that it's full of kingdoms of men and 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 they are by and large allied with Sauron and that's where most of his armies come from we know that um there's another army of Easterlings, for instance, which comes in at the time of the Battle of Pelennor Fields, which comes in and attacks the Lonely Mountain and Dale. Um, so, I mean, those are Easterlings as well. Um, of course, the other things we 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 know about the ancient history of the East. Of course, that's presumably out there somewhere. Is where. Qui is or was where the elves awoke and, you know, they moved west.
1: Is, is that is the same thing that happened to the elves, did that happen to the men as well? Like, did the men start in the east like the elves and then move over? Yeah. So some of them chose to just stay over there?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so presumably there are elves in the east somewhere, like that is some of the avari, the unwilling, um, you know, who never came, who never set out on the journey towards Valinor. Um, presumably, you know, if you went east, you would find some elves. I mean, they're, um, you know because they never spent any time with the Valar. They're pretty low-grade elves, you know, but but, but but there are elves out so there. So would they
4: actually be all that different from men?
0: Well, <laughs> they
3: have pointy ears.
0: <laughs> well. pointy ears anyway, but yes. Uh, they uh, When the orcs first appeared, um, the reaction over in Beleriand uh, in the first stage, in the Summerillion, was like, gosh, maybe these are Avari who have, like, who have become corrupt. And there's a... Which, of course, you know... A, um, concerning which they guessed all too near the truth, as as as, as the narrator ominously points out. Um, but there's also a reference when men awake um, in Hildorian in the First Age that some of them are befriended by by dark elves by by Avari. So they're clearly there, and they're clearly different. I don't know how many of them are there. We don't know anything about them. I mean, they they they, they pass out of history entirely. Um, but presumably there are some still out there. But but we, we we're never really told any stories from the East or given any kinds of details. It's a barren land with no narrators to be found. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly none whose whose books make their way. And you know, but, but that's actually exactly the point. Uh, you know, one of the things that is so fascinating about Tolkien's subcreation is the way in which he he includes the textual history of the records within the history of his subcreation. So. You know, you might say, you might look at the maps and say, well, gosh, we just have this big white line, you know, not too far east of the Anduin. We just fade out into nothingness. But but that's, of course, because these are the stories that are of these lands and have been told by the people who live in these lands. There's no implication that those other lands don't have stories. It's just... Not these stories, and and these people haven't visited there and don't know the stories, and so therefore we don't have the texts of the of you know those lands, which probably exist, but you know they didn't make it as far as Hobbiton and so they they you know or, or even Minas Tirith, and so they uh, they aren't in our collection. Um, yeah,
4: yeah. Opening probably a whole other can of worms. Um, two things. One. The Summerlin and Lord of the Rings are kind of supposed to be a form of, like, mythos for Britain, you said? Like, would the Easterlings and the lands to the east then be representative of the actual lands to the east of Britain? Probably not. Because in the movie, they make the Easterlings kind of look Arabic. Right.
0: Just gonna say, well, the, the, the I hope those were about yeah, yeah the, the, southern, with the, the, the southern, was there, types with their wicker armor and that kind of thing. Um, uh, well, I think that decision, that the, the, the decision in the film was based primarily upon the fact that it was clearly, I mean, it's the Haradrim are a southern and yeah. therefore like vaguely equatorial right. culture, yeah, right.
3: so right. they, so they, they. they I think Tolkien actually refers to them as darker at
0: one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do have darker skins. Well,
3: um,
4: live, like
0: in the south, the way
4: the world is shaped, you'd have to have darker yeah. skins living the-
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. unless the this is
4: said
3: of
0: shaped <laughs> I was, was going to say
3: unless the, unless this is set in the southern hemisphere, in which case going to the north.
0: No, no I, I'm going bad. to the south. Yeah. Be
3: away from the equator. So really, that's no. not that's not a, that's not a valid n- inference at all. No,
0: it is because uh, in the Silmarillion, we're clearly dealing with the far north. Um, at the Helcaraxa and Utumno and Angban and stuff. So there's there's clearly that those are the northern parts of the world. And the farther north you go, the colder it gets. So it, it, we're clearly northern hemispherical uh, <laughs> uh, in 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 Middle Earth. Um, so I do think that therefore that that actually is that actually is valid. Think, yeah. Oh, uh, 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 b- so. one like quick quick thing about the the mythology of England thing. Um, two things. One, the fact that he was thinking about england doesn't necessarily mean that we can then sort of compare other things i mean it's not like the shire in particular is england i mean in fact what was england uh it, what what was england in the in the original versions was actually um elvenhome was the, the 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 um the lonely isle was was uh, um, was England. It. Uh, so it's not the Shire not, or Earth it's itself. I don't
1: know what
2: is. So, <laughs> um,
0: yeah. let's move on. Oh, wait, no. One last thing about the mythos. Um, he did, by the time the Lord of the Rings, well before the Lord of the Rings came out, he had kind of abandoned the England-specific uh, element of it. Um, it had kind of broadened beyond that. So, um, so it really, in the finished product... It's not really. We shouldn't be thinking in those kinds of uh, terms, like uh, equating things with England. I mean, certainly the Shire culture bears certain superficial resemblances to uh, to uh, traditional pre-industrial British culture. But, living, but, but yeah, that, that's not that's not really.
4: Are you sure? not really I mean, it's just some thinking. other things. I can like, I'm just finding similarities and start to wonder how much am I looking into this too
0: much? Right. In some places, possibly a little bit. I mean, in some places, I think that there are definitely some resemblances. What is the Watcher
4: really searching for the ring?
0: Right. The Watcher in the water. Um, So this question stems from a very brief reference um, in the Fellowship of the Ring, when after the Watcher in the water, which is the huge lake squid creature who attacks them before they enter Moria.
4: um,
0: Something (laughs) like that. Yeah, it's some some kind of squid-ish creature. Anyway... Um, after they escape it, um, Gandalf has just, uh, said there are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world, and the narrator adds, he did not speak aloud his thought that whatever it was that dwelt in the lake, it, has, it had seized on Frodo first among all the company. Um. So, Gandalf appears to suspect, at least, that it is not a coincidence that of all the people, Frodo happened to be the one who was grabbed first. And so, that, um, I, would, I would say, is where this question comes from. Um, and it's a complicated question. I suspect that Gandalf's hint that it's not an accident is probably right, but I, mean, I don't Gandalf think. Gandalf tends to know what he's talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that that probably wouldn't have been said if there were absolutely no. I mean, I think. I couldn't imagine the answer being, nah, no, Gandalf was just screwed up. Here, I'm sure jump it's jump nothing. If he yeah. was looking for maybe a clump and tasty
3: Trump morsel, he would have grabbed Sam.
0: Well, one of the things... Aww. I was thinking about this logistically. Now, there's no actual textual evidence that Sam is much heavier than anybody else.
1: Or maybe fatty Lumpkin.
0: Okay. <laughs> there is textual evidence that fatty Lumpkin is fatter than other people. And fatty bulger. But <laughs> but not Sam. Just thought I'd mention that. A? Well, uh, if
2: you think <laughs> about it logistically... They, as far as they know, the danger they're going to be facing going into Moria is going to come at them from in Moria. Yeah. And they're entering Moria. And the hobbits are the smallest and weakest of their group. So it would make sense to put them at the back. Yeah, And, and if it, the thing's attacking them from behind, then...
0: And, and it does seem... I mean, as they're going in the doors, others have already started to go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so they clearly one are. I mean...
4: To one to four.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does seem that there's, okay, uh, it, possibly... That would sort of support a coincidence thing, but I don't think it's entirely coincidence. However, I, the main thing that I would say I don't think that it's. I don't think it would be right to say that he was, he, the Watcher in the Water, was. Attempting to get the ring, like that, this was some sort of plot on his part. To obviously, he had no idea that the ring was coming, so there's no, there's no, there's no possibility of premeditation on the part of the watcher in the water. Um, but also, I'm not even sure that it would, you know, recognize. Oh my gosh, that is the ring of power. I desire the ring of power for myself, and shall become. <laughs> <forever>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that would have been an excellent Instead of the dark lord, you
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, so, I, I, I don't, uh, th- that I, I just can't see. Uh, but I don't think that that means it's just an accident and has no idea.
1: Uh, it seems that evil begets evil. You know, bad things I was say. are constantly <laughs> happening to ring bearers. Well,
0: yeah, certainly, uh, that, you know, the, in terms of just like a, a piece of misfortune happening to him. Uh, and even, you know, we certainly have the ring wanting to, um, to expose itself and to escape. Uh, from Colum we you know we're told the ring tried to escape does the ring want to try to escape from frodo at this point I mean would it would well, it be, I seem know? like that would be a poor wow, judgment dude. call what do it to be what, what eaten by a squid yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: Dropped on the shore. No yeah. one goes to Moria
0: anymore. It's not a hundred percent sure family. that uh, you know that the the, the ring. I, you know, I've said this <laughs> in the I'm not. I'm not convinced that the ring uh, is capable of very good long term thinking and or extended planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe uh, you know, I, I, perhaps it would be. I do think the ring makes bad judgment calls. Um, I think that it makes demonstrably bad judgment calls at times.
3: I mean, Um, it's still better than being taken to Mount Doom, but, I mean... But it would have no idea that it's being taken to
0: Mount Doom, I think. uh, You can't hear what people
3: are thinking when they're wearing it?
0: I'm not sure that it is really that sentient, uh, that it's really kind of tracking what's going on uh, uh, and able to think about it. I've just... I don't know that there's enough evidence that the ring really sort of has a separate consciousness. Like it's
4: more that. like it just wants to pass hands as quickly as possible, and through that means it'll get, the it figures it'll get to wherever it needs to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it abandons Gollum, right? I mean, it, it leaves Gollum it because it knows that meet, it's a dead although, end. It's like, man, I've been down here forever. But see, that, even that's that's just no more is required than like the perception of its immediate surroundings to say, hey... I'm not getting any closer to Sauron here. I really, I, I really want to. Uh, this is lame, uh, really? so let's leave. Um, and I'm not sure that the you know, like Bilbo picks up the ring, which of course Gandalf says is not the ring's plan, obviously. Um, but when Bilbo picks up the ring, I mean, I, I don't see any reason to think that the ring is going to be like, oh crap. <laughs> I don't think it had that much plan. Um, so anyway, at least it's hard to say the way the ring is treated in the books. It doesn't seem like we can build a consistent sense of, like, it's got a a master plan.
2: But if that's all the ring cares about, then there's no... If, like, it's not that sentient and all it really wants is to move towards Mordor, then there's absolutely no reason for it to leave Frodo. Because it doesn't know that Frodo's going to destroy it.
0: It just knows that it's going in the direction it wants to go. Quite possibly. I mean, it... The times that we see it appearing to want to leave is when, the, is when it right. wants to reveal itself to the ring and therefore get on the express route. So, it,
3: it, it's, it's best move at this point would be probably to turn Frodo into the littlest ring wraith, right. <laughs> which,
4: which it's worth it on. Well, you know. <laughs> God. And Moria in general, it says explicitly in the Council of Elrond, Glowen says that like, the power of Mordor has gone back to Moria, and that's why Glowin and Orion and haven't come. Glowin. Glowin? Glowin. Actually,
0: Glowin is Gloin is not the... He's he he's at the council. Uh, Balin is Oh,
4: the, Balin, at, yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. What, one of the dwarves, like, three of them yeah. went back to the Moria. they're the same to me. They ne- <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're short guys. They never came Except back. Except
0: Bomber's really fat. That's yeah. The,
4: the yeah. <laughs> um. Sometimes beers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, so, couldn't that just mean that the Watcher maybe has become more evil? I don't know if a creature like that can be more evil than they were before. Or, like, if the fact that they weren't, that Sauron's pretty much commanded the
0: critters of Moria to, uh... I don't think we need to see them being actively deployed by Sauron. They're older and fouler things than orcs. Uh, and this is right after Gandalf has made the speech about, you know, there, there, uh, there are other things in the world. You know, when people are talking, when, when they're debating about whether or not Sauron is causing the snow in Carathras and Gandalf is like, guys, there are other it's things Kyrathras. besides Sauron that are evil in the world right. and that are not friends to, 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 to elves and men and dwarves. So, um... It, it, they can be, they can be total free agents. In fact, I was just flipping through uh, Tolkien's letters earlier and came to a passage where he was really objecting to the fact that in one of the uh, BBC radio um, versions of The Lord of the Rings um, in the 50s, uh, he hated the fact that they actually, they introduced Old Man Willow as a servant of Sauron.
2: Oh, he really hated that. They
0: also (laughs) introduced Coldbearius as uh, as Tom Bombadil's daughter. Uh Oh, uh, Ah! oh, she's my daughter! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he 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 was he objected to that even more. But but anyway, (laughs) the point that he went on to make about that, he said people seem not to be able to conceive of you know like. An evil creature, which is just a free agent, and and you know opposes them, but is not actually yeah. acting under the orders of Sauron. And there are, Balrog. so I, I think the Watcher is clearly in that category. See, I
4: always thought when he made that speech that he was alluding to the Balrog. I don't know why. Well,
0: but the that's Balrog was that I thought the, bal- <laughs> the, the difference is with the Balrog, we have like a kind of like political background there. I mean, we, we know where their, their loyalties. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so I mean, we we know where they used to be in. They were related to Sauron, but he's not operating under Sauron's orders. Because so Sauron
3: in, did give him his wings. <laughs> oh,
0: <please. going laughs> of wings.
3: Going off,
2: going off of that, because the Balrogs, you know, were kind of uh, inherited from Morgoth to yeah. Sauron. Yeah. Uh, after Morgoth bails. um, could the and all the dark things of the of the old world and the Silmarillion serve Morgoth? So could
0: this uh, the watcher be one of those servants. Well, I guess from I would say the first age. two things. First of all, all of the evil things have their origin in Morgoth. Right, but. Many of them go on to become free agents. Remember, one of the fundamental realities of like the evil creature world right. is self-interest. And they want to, like, they like want to set up on real. their own. They don't want to serve uh, Morgoth. So we see, uh, for instance, Ungoliant at the very beginning, uh, going off, and she sets up on her own, and she doesn't. She she doesn't. And this is why we have Shelob right. um, later on, who right. was also clearly in this sense a free agent. Sauron. Uses her, but she doesn't obey him. She's not serving him. Uh, she's not in any explicit relationship with him, and so presumably many of the monstrous creatures that Morgoth uh, uh, produced, you know, during his very fertile research and development years in the mm-hmm. First Age, are still wandering around and doing their own thing, unconnected to anybody else. So, in that case, could the
2: Watcher be sort of a rival to Sauron? In a sense, that all dark things are rivals to one another, and when the ring walked by, he was like, wait a second. I doubt that Watcher
0: in the Water was uh, that it was part of the long term, uh, a larger strategy, okay. either of, of like squid superiority or <laughs> like, I mean, stick in Sauron's eye, but rather, it seems to me the likeliest explanation is just. The, he detects the power. Thing. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is something. There's something
4: cool and evil yes. and ooh, the, mm-hmm. that looks like Attractive. shiny. Yeah, just exactly. Like air. I can use that. You're yeah. Like,
0: yeah, or it, it, even if he doesn't have any idea what it is, but like mm-hmm. there's something different about this God, one. I, I can I, that God. it can sense that, um, and so goes for him. Probably not <laughs> even knowing why. I mean, I don't know how much of a of a of a conscious. Mind, we're supposed to be attributing mm. to the watcher squid. in the
2: water. It is called a watcher, which
0: is
4: interesting.
3: Cthulhu is
0: smart. Yeah. a squid. He's brilliant. He's not a squid. He looks like a squid.
3: A sm- the watcher's not a squid either. He just looks like he a looks squid. Anyways,
4: yeah. I, I would like
3: to suggest puppies
1: later. Let's stop having Cthulhu tangents. <gasps> puppies!
3: I would like <laughs> to suggest an alter- alternate motivation for the watcher. Okay, magic.
0: Yes, is delicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know this <laughs> has, wow.
2: this
0: he wants has, to eat it this has precedent this <laughs> I mean this is what i'm going to you know you that, that 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 which has power is can be not only just utilized or exploited but actually absorbed um, and therefore the absorber. Under certain circumstances, yeah. becomes more powerful. It's it, that is conceivable. I mean, I, I think that that, and it, it may well be when it detects somehow that there's something different or special about Frodo that there's... I mean, that
3: he's carrying three different powerful items: ring, sword, Mithril armor.
2: Mithril's not magic,
0: but it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Shiny, yeah, shiny though. The cool shiniest is. Shiny. But I mean, I think. Uh, that seems to me possible that it actually it detects the power and doesn 't want to use it, but wants to wants to absorb it does Gandalf torture Gollum if so, is that supposed to be okay okay, and the passage we 're dealing with here is when Gandalf in the shadow of the past chapter two of Fellowship of the Ring, okay. is page fifty five um, is talking to uh, Frodo and telling him the story of of Gollum and how he uh, finally found Gollum and made him talk. Gandalf says, I endured him as long as I could, but the truth was desperately important, and in the end, I had to be harsh. I put the fear of fire on him and wrung the true story out of him bit by bit, together with much sniveling and snarling. He thought he was misunderstood and ill-used. That's the, that's the, the in question. one could certainly exonerate Gandalf on a technicality that, uh, that, you know, he doesn't say he actually applied fire to Gollum, and so there's no evidence of physical torture. He, he put the fear of fire in him, so he plainly threatened him. I assume he just magicked him. Well, well he threatened to magic him anyway. He well,
3: like, um, like well, threatened him with the ring, you know, the one of fire that he's on the same. Well,
0: he wouldn't threaten him with it explicitly, Um because it's, a, a, you know, it's secret. The best
3: kept secret of Middle-earth. He tells the Balrog, so apparently he's not that big on keeping it a secret from evil beings. Well, that's... An I mean, expect. he just, like, slips slip it out. By the way, I'm carrying the ring. <laughs> slip out. Of course, when it's he, in a positive phrase within his,
0: his threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, but it's not that it slips out. Of course, uh, at the Bridge of Khazad-dum, he is declaring himself. And that's what you do. I mean, if you want to declare your power, I mean, when he's standing up for the Balrog, you
3: need the power.
4: power
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's 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 he is uh, he is. Bring out the big guns. Yeah. yeah, I mean Gandalf is as much a mire as he
0: is. <coughs> well,
4: is not our Rock's yeah. 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 mire? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they yeah, they're spirits of fire corrupted by Morgoth, so they were they are they are mire. Um,
2: but um, well, what about that little trick that he does that he even like that he just does to Bilbo, where he's like Bilbo leave the ring and Bilbo's like no, and he seems to grow taller and. More powerful, yeah.
0: And there, I th- the implication there is basically, you know, he says, th- "Then you will see Gandalf the Grey uncloaked." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the cloak that he seems to be uh, um, um, implying here is just—he uh, doesn't normally reveal his. I mean, he is yeah. much more powerful than. I mean, he goes around um, in the guise of an old man, you know, and he—he—it's I mean, not that he doesn't actually have a body or anything, but but he doesn't show his power all the time um, and here he's basically revealing some of his true stature is the word yeah. that Tolkien uses so often about things like this I mean he has really great stature not just height but 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 sort of it's metaphysical a little stature. Ankle. But, you know yeah sort of showing I don't know about the ankle business but anyway yeah, yeah he's, he's sort of showing uh, uh, a little bit of who he really is which he's doing in full yeah. with the Balrog in the Balrog scene Um but the point is, I, I, I clearly don't think he would have to do this with... Um,
2: Actual fire.
0: Right. Or he wouldn't have to do that with gum. Right. I mean, it's not like... I'd, I mean, presumably, um, you know, some some comparatively normal fire would do the trick if well, yeah. he's threatening I mean if, he's if you think about him. it like,
2: it makes perfect sense for Gollum to be really scared of fire like he's been living under this mountain in a dark cave there's no light no nat- well the, li- the natural light source would come from like the moss I guess but no he hasn't seen fire since probably he lived he was one of the river folk right and he you know the whole sun thing doesn't like the sun the sun's just this big ball of fire
0: right exactly and he uh, remember it's the flame of honor or the flame of the yes. sun that Gandalf. Yeah. but yeah um, remember also uh, when in the two towers when Sam lights a fire yeah um, freaks out mm-hmm. um, and uh, clearly one of the things that he's freaked out about is that it's gonna make a smoke and bring enemies um, but that's the last point that he makes um, uh, he's you know he's he talks about fire as a fire is itself an enemy I mean you know it it it, it bites it, it it you know it it it, it destroys you. Um, he, he clearly is afraid of fire in general. Yeah. Um, and remember the other people who are afraid of fire. Um, the
4: ringwraiths?
0: Exactly, the ringwraiths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ringwraiths are afraid of I fire. I wonder how they manage to work with the balrogs. They don't.
4: <laughs>
2: they don't at all. <laughs>
0: balrogs they're, are the first stage thing. Yeah, right? they're, they're, and they're constitutionally different. Uh, this is implied um, when they're on the River Anduin and the the winged Nazgul is sort of... Uh, Lifting up, and Legolas shoots him. Um, is that what you've been talking
4: about? Well, w-
1: wouldn't it make sense for Gollum to be afraid of fire, and the Ringwraiths to be afraid of fire? Because wasn't the Ring turning Gollum
4: into a Ringwraith? Yeah. So that yeah. No, exactly.
0: It would make sense when uh, they all sense when the Nazgul takes off and Legolas shoots its mountain down. Um, they don't know what it is, but they all sense that there's some seriously evil, powerful thing rising up into the air on the other side of the of the river, and they're speculating. They're like, "What was it? Was it, you know?" And wh- I forget who asks or speculates that it might have been a Balrog. And Frodo says, "No, it wasn't a Balrog, but something colder." Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's like this heat-cold thing. Uh, that's what I meant when I said constitutionally different. I mean, of course it was a Balrog. It had wings, didn't it? <laughs> hey, now, <right> away.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyway, um, so Ringwraiths are afraid of Balrogs. Obviously, not going to be afraid of fire, but, uh, okay. but Ringwraiths are. golem seems to be. And it seems to be, when Strider is explaining that, about the ringwraiths being afraid of fire, he says Sauron can put fire to his evil uses, but these writers do not love it. I mean, there there is some, and there seems to be, and through Gandalf and, and uh, his connections with fire, uh, there seems to be some kind of in power which is usable for good, and which many of the servants of the evil fear in fire. Um Goblins don't. Of course, remember back in The Hobbit, the wargs are afraid of fire, like normal wolves would be, um, and the goblins are not. So, um,
4: But this kind of goes back like all the way to the Silmarillion. Isn't there the um, thing where... Oh, God, and now I'm going to start c- confusing names. The one who made the Silmarils, and he was named... Anor, like Anor. Anor. The Spirit of Fire, the spirit yeah. Spirit of Fire. Yeah, and then, like... Like, and too much so, for it corrupted him. And then, like, the sun was made of fire, and someone wanted her, but could not get more goblin. I think. Was like, mm, goodness, that looks tasty.
0: But she's, but he's afraid of her. Yeah, but he's yeah I mean, of her. and the fear of the sun, I mean, is like, is connected to the fear of fire. I mean, goblins are afraid of the sun, and they're not afraid of, they, they work with fire and are, are not afraid of flames, the but waves there are connections.
4: Do I move? Really under the sun. Yeah, they're restricted. Is that another, under is the another sun.
2: reason why the ring wraiths are scared of it? Because the sun and the warmth are associated with humans. Because when and you life, cross, yeah. when you cross light. orcs with men, you get urukai who can move around in the daylight, perfectly fine. So it's it's like it's clearly a man thing. Yes, and um and like elves are associated with the moon and the stars, and you know, so is that why they're afraid of fire? Because it reminds them of what they used to be.
0: I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I mean, he never explains why ringwraiths yeah. are, 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 uh, do not love fire, as Erdogan says. Um, Wait,
3: so was Gollum, like, really in the process of becoming a ringwraith? Or did he, or was there some sort of block
0: that was going to keep him from getting there? Well, he lost the ring. I mean, besides losing the ring. He keep him
4: with him all the time. He only no, used it when he was hunting.
0: Yeah, that was another thing that, that Gandalf says, that one, one of the things that, that inhibited his becoming a wraith was the fact that he didn't wear it very much. Um... But yes, he was wraithifying. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that he. So, so it's
3: clearly possible to keep the ring for hundreds of years and not actually be wraithified.
0: If you're a hobbit, and if you don't wear it that often, yes.
3: Also, in that case, why did the ring want to get away from Gollum? Because one would assume that he would eventually become a ring wraith, and then he would be in contact with Sauron, and then, you know. was well, taking too Would he be like that. a
4: free agent ring wraith, though? Because. Yeah, do Wraiths turn into Barrowites if they're not, like... No, the Barrowites are different.
0: The Barrowites are different. The Barrowites are are, uh, spirits that entered into the Barrow. But, like, I I mean,
4: like, -like, Barrow-like in that they're just spirits that kind of wander around, screwing with people. Or do you have... In being a Wraith, are you explicitly tied to Sauron? Period.
0: When Gandalf (laughs) talks about... The the prospect of Frodo having been made a wraith. But even there, that's from the Morgul knife, not from the ring itself. And Mm -hmm. if he had been made into a wraith um, from the wound of the Morgul knife, he would have been... uh, Gandalf said he would have been a shadow under his great shadows. I mean, he would have been a subordinate, uh, an explicitly subordinate wraith. Um,
4: Though it seems that... I guess it would make sense because the ring wraiths themselves turned into wraiths when they were given the rings by Sauron that c- let him control them. So, carrying even the one ring would probably make you a Sauron ring race,
0: because it is from the One Ring. I would kind of have to imagine that uh, that you, cause Sauron's the reason that the One Ring is what it is is that it has much of Sauron's own power oh, and spirit yeah. in it. So. I can't imagine that you could become a ring wraith from wearing the One Ring and not be connected to or subordinate to someone.
2: The ring probably just got fed up with being held by a hobbit for hundreds of years.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's clearly it wasn't making any yeah any any progress, and I think uh, this, I mean, if you want, could be used as an as as an example, uh, as evidence for the for the ring's lack of long term thinking. I mean, it could have just said, "Hey, you know, sooner or later, GOM's going to become a wraith, and so let me just work on that." And then once it becomes a, but it, it clearly it's it doesn't seem to be thinking uh, that strategically. Um, But anyway, back to... We've kind of strayed away from the torture question. The one way in which I think the fire discussion is relevant is that it's clear that Gollum is afraid of fire, um, unusually afraid of fire. And so it's not like when he says, I put the fear of fire in him, that, you know, he was like holding an open flame underneath, you know, like, you know, know, Gollum's hand or something and being like, I'm going to, you know, burn you if you if you don't... Clearly, Gong gets so freaked out when a, a campfire is set near him that it wouldn't take much to inspire fear in him with uh, with fire. So uh,
4: he might have just use firework. Like that was actually or just like
0: said, said I'm gonna no, make a he, fire. So, <laughs> so when bro.
2: when when he says harsh, it's not like he's downplaying what he did. He's he's being honest. He was yes. like, eventually, I had to be stern with him.
0: Yeah, I yeah. had to tell him.
2: Yeah. You know, I I might. I'm me what I want yeah. it could be
3: construed as a sort of psychological torture because okay. he's playing on a severe phobia
0: right yeah no exactly i mean and and and, and, and will I agree with you that um Gandalf is not he doesn't he doesn't seem to be especially proud of this you know he's not um he, nor is he suggesting that it's not at all any kind of a big deal you know he's he's uh he does justify it, but the truth was desperately important um like, when, he, when it's phrased that way, it sounds like he just scolded him, really. Yeah, that I had to be harsh. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I, I had to speak really harshly. Uh, and, and, and Aragorn uses similar kind of language. Um, he says that he wasn't gentle to Gollum. I don't think that that necessarily means that you know, Aragorn beat the crap out of him. <laughs> yeah, right. but, um, but he says he wasn't gentle. So, I mean, he probably was rough physically with him in trying to restrain him and uh, trying to keep him from running away, uh, dragging him. He, he had to tie him up. He, he said he, he made him walk in front of him. Yeah. Um, and presumably, you know, Gollum tried to escape and, and he had to be rough in keeping him um, and, and not letting him escape. And, then, and, and until he was tamed by lack of food and water, Aragorn says. I mean, he. He, he, he starved he, him. He starved him. Yeah. Um, a but p- again, The p- deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, that is a deeply creepy parallel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm going to stop thinking about that as fast as I can. Anyway, uh, <laughs> though it's not obvious that Aragorn um, was like, and my strategy shall be to withhold food, I, I, Gollum, I mean, <clears throat> when. Frodo and Sam capture Gollum. We see Gollum being pretty stubborn um, initially when they tie the rope on him and everything. So uh, I I, I am not sure how much of the starvation was Holy Aragorn initiated. That Gollum was begging for food and he was saying, no, I, I don't necessarily think that, but... Gollum was not cooperative until he reached the point where he was desperate for food and drink and was therefore willing to to, to, to go along and to play along Gollum's with Gollum's a bit Aaron. of a tough
4: cookie to crack. Well, he's, he, he is tough.
0: <coughs> no, crunchings <Huh>? <laughs> no crunchings and
4: munchings. No
0: crunchings <laughs> and munchings. Exactly. No crunchings and munchings for Gollum.
1: So then is Tolkien saying that it's okay to torture if
4: you don't actually beat the person up, you just mentally screw
2: it, with it up? It sounds like he's saying sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's one of those ends justifies the well, means. Well,
3: there is. Which is very unusual for this book. So we're not it sure. So I'm not sure if we can say that's what he's saying.
0: And I think that that's exactly, I think that that's what prompted this question. Because that would be uh, nowhere else. I mean, Mac is right. Nowhere else in these books um, is an ends justifies the means ethic endorsed at all. Um,
4: Except by, like, Saramon.
0: Right, exactly. Um, it's only in evil people that that Boromir, that that's justified. Right, yeah. right. Boromir, he doesn't go ex, as explicitly yeah. to ends and means, but 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 yes, now he, he he's clearly kind of thinking in those ways. Um, so, but here, I guess I would come back to Will what you said before. Um, cause I think that you're right about Gandalf's tone here. It's a you know, he's saying, "Look, I, I, I had to. The truth is desperately important. I had to get him to talk." Um, he doesn't seem to have tortured him. Yeah. He seems to have threatened him. Um, and... But... Yes, yeah, so I don't know if you just say, like, the if the ends are really important and the means are
4: I mean, he really not that big of a deal. The <laughs> that Gollum had was crucial, and yeah. indeed it was. I mean, he found out, like, the most important things he needed to know before Frodo even set out on yeah. the journey. Yeah,
0: so the so. question is, I mean, I, you know... But, of course, we don't really know. We don't really know what the...
4: Um, what really resulted if you had
2: it. Right,
0: exactly. What, what would the later stages have been? Would Gandalf have actually gone on you know to actually use physical torture uh had he refused or not i mean i tend to think not because it would be so out of keeping not only with gandalf's character but with the the ethics uh advocated throughout these books that it's hard couldn't to imagine he
4: technically he have just read his mind like couldn't he have put him under some sort of a spell and just like read his mind cuz he says he does that to frodo when he's yeah. like going yeah, that on yeah he did read right, his Dean, thought his. Um, arguably, much further along the path towards Rita than Frodo is, but...
0: And therefore, one wonders if perhaps it might have been harder. Um, well, maybe. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, well, I, we can say, apparently, he couldn't do that, because he didn't. But... So
2: maybe Smeagol was just a manifestation of Stockholm Syndrome
0: later along. Oh, God! Why? <laughs> well, I mean, that's actually an argument that people make, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, especially with the way that he treats Frodo. Mm-hmm. Um later on, at least most of the time, you know, like when he's not betraying him. <laughs> but, um... Stockholm Syndrome, huh? just like Petruchia. Oh. I knew you were
1: going to go there oh. again.
0: The <laughs> I said I wanted <laughs> to not change <laughs> You want
2: to yeah. go on the next question? Yeah, I want to move on to
0: the next question. Uh,
2: what do Frodo and Bilbo and all the other ring bearers do across the sea? Die.
0: They die. Die, yeah. Die <laughs> is <laughs> the answer. Um, Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, and, and this, this is a really important thing. Yeah, more quickly. More exciting. quickly, right? Exactly. They, <laughs> they will certainly die because they will not. They just living over there doesn't make you immortal, uh, and um, and they will die more quickly because when mortals go over to a month, they can't they can't handle it. They'll be overloaded and um, and all well done. Exactly. Again, good way to go. My favorite COD, but that's uh, but that's. I mean, the way, I mean, if you, you have to, to choose. Yeah, if I had to choose, I'd like excess of bliss and happiness would be my favorite way to go. But um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so they would die and sooner. Though the reason for going, of course, is to is to achieve healing. Um, and Tolkien does say that they would be healed um, over there. And so, therefore, be happy and whole and then die. Um,
4: <laughs> but it's not like... Saying that you go across the sea means, like, passing on... Exactly. That, Asia. That's exactly
0: the point that I wanted to <laughs> make. It doesn't mean that. Legitimately, this is you're going things, to
4: another place Right, and then die. you will die. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. And th- this right, is... On this separate continent that is actually a real continent. Right, mm-hmm. right. They're not in our spherical world anymore, but that's a little complicated. But anyway, yes, it's <laughs> still within Arda. But this, I think, is a really important point post-films, because the film's... Uh, did a fantastic job of, of messing with people's <laughs> understanding of this. Uh, in fact, even most notably, um, in that passage, uh, passage, I'm talking about it like it's a book, in that scene in the film, in The Return of the King, when Gandalf and Pippin are talking during the Siege of Minas Tirith and oh, yeah. they're talking about death, um, Gandalf quotes in describing... You know, where dead people go to Pippin, presumably, is what he's describing. Um, when describing that, he uses out of context. Uh, uh, it was a quote
4: from let's what, not blame what were Gandalf for this. About
0: in that? Valinor. Valinor. It's yeah. from, it's, it's, it's from yeah. the passage that describes them going, getting to Valinor. That
2: always bothered me because he's totally lying to Pippin, because that's not what's going to happen when that's that's not what's Pippin happen yes. when you die.
0: The point is, we don't know what happens. When you yeah. die, I mean, when people, when 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 mortals die, they go. The elves know not whither. The, the books never go beyond that. And, and when the elves die, Dude, they get stacked up in Manway's storehouse. Van... <laughs> and they, they 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 go to that. Now, elves go to the place that Gandalf is adapting. You yeah. know, the, the the far green country under a swift sunrise. That's a quotation from the description of Valinor when they. When they get there, and so it creates the impression that when you set sail from the havens, you're setting sail for you know the land of the dead or for the afterlife in some sense, and that's absolutely not the case, and it really confuses the whole system of mortality versus immortality, and that was that was really important to Tolkien. I mean, it was he felt that mortality and immortality were you know was some of the major themes of the. Lord of the Rings. and In fact, when in a letter once somebody asked him, like, what do you think is the most important theme in the Lord of the Rings, he said mortality. Um, so, that's though he added to that saying but that's not really saying very much because to say that is really just to say that it's a book written by a human being um, mm-hmm. and that really all human art is about mortality on some level or other. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so I, that I think is a really important confusion to be, to be cleared up. They do, they will depart and go to wherever it is that people go when they die. Um, from Valinor, but they are totally, it's totally not the land of the dead. Um, yep, okay, that's good. That's I think we're pretty good. much answered yeah.
4: that. Now. Religion in Middle-earth. Why isn't there any?
0: Right, that's the question. In- so the answer to the question uh, is this is this is kind of a complicated question. Yeah, Kevin, go ahead.
1: Um, well, I, the thing that strikes me about uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, because they're contemporaries and they're buddies, is that they both usually approach religion from you know the point of view of an outsider. Um, a lot of the books that C.S. Lewis writes, like the Screw Tape Letters and the Chronicles of Narnia, they handle religious. Uh, themes and things like that, but they do it, you know, from the point of view of a demon or a right. bunch of kids who are having this wonderful experience right. with a magical lion, uh, who bears no resemblance whatsoever to Jesus.
3: Oh God, yeah. Um, oh
1: and oh it it's, oh it, oh it oh sort of makes, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> it sort of makes these things more accessible to a broader range of people who aren't going in thinking, here yeah. I'm gonna read about christianity and it's going to be so stodgy and hoity-toity
0: yeah and now lewis of course is dealing explicitly with christianity more and his mm-hmm. books are more explicitly are more explicitly christian it, that, that's not a very meaningful thing to say but mm-hmm. well, i think you know what i mean and because uh, I, it makes allusions to christianity like actual allusions to christianity like the moment when aslan says to the pevensey kids um you have to learn to know me by another name in your, in, in your world. So, I mean, that's, and he's alluding to Jesus there explicitly, though not by name. So, um, Tolkien, of course, never does that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so in that sense, in that kind of sense, they're more Christian, but I agree within the world of Narnia, there's no religion. If we define religion as the outward practice, uh, you know, of, of worship, There's no religion in Narnia either. Howsoever Christian the books and the world may be, howsoever devoted to Aslan and the emperor over the sea the Narnians may be, they don't have churches, they don't go to worship services, Uh, they don't have that kind of thing. Um, Yes. Yes. Uh, I would
3: like to say that there is religion in Middle Earth and and Narnia that just happens to be manifested in the way that they live and behave and not in Right. The, the way religion, they right. burn
0: incense. There's religion chance.
2: even in the classical sense in Middle Earth. The elves worship, um, worship Manwe and oh, revere
0: them anyway, and, yeah, and call but upon them. Elbereth, yeah, yeah, or Varda. Yeah. 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 all about Elbereth. Yeah. 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 They, they, they acknowledge their existence because you yeah. they know they're
3: actually over there, and they try to talk to them if they need help. Yeah, but they, they don't have churches. They
2: pray to Elbereth though because she can hear them.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, yeah. Exa- they do offer prayers. To them, um, but again, there's, there festivals. aren't worships. they And there are in Valinor. We see festivals, um, the, the 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 festival of the of the giving of the first fruits of the harvest. Um, w- what they're doing when when Morgoth and Ungoliant come in, right? Um, and of course, you have also famously in Numenor uh, the tarma and the, the the observances that happen uh, on top of the Meneltarma. And There is a shrine to Eru there. Um, so it's the it's the only physical location that's listed in Middle Earth um, or near Middle Earth, human or not technically in Middle Earth, um, where there is a, a place to worship God in. Um, it's the only thing. It's not exactly a church. It's a mountaintop. Um, and, uh, the, and it's paralleled to the holy mountain in Valinor. Uh, but yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, I was just thinking of the way that C.S. Lewis constantly tries to define church. It's not a place that you go or the clergy, it's the entire body of people who make up this this faith throughout all time.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so let me read a, a passage from uh, from Tolkien's letters uh, where he where he addresses this, um, because I think it will help. He says there are. There are no temples or churches or fanes in this world among good peoples. They had little or no religion in the sense of worship. For help they may call on a vala, as Elbereth, as a Catholic might call on a saint, though no doubt knowing in theory as well as he, that is as well as the Catholic, that the power of the vala was limited and derivative. But this is a primitive age, and these folk may be said to view the valar as children view their parents or immediate adult superiors, and though they know they are subjects of the king, he does not live in their country, nor have there any dwelling. I do not think hobbits practised any form of worship or prayer, unless through exceptional contact with elves. The Numenorians and others of that branch of humanity that fought against Morgoth, even if they elected to remain in Middle-earth and did not go to Numenor, such as the Rohirrim, were pure monotheists. But there was no temple in Numenor until Sauron introduced the cult of Morgoth. The top of the mountain, the Meneltarma, or pillar of heaven, was dedicated to Eru, the one, and there at any time, privately, and at certain times publicly, God was invoked, praised, and adored, an imitation of the Valar and and the mountain of Amman. But Numenor fell and was destroyed, and the mountain engulfed, and there was no substitute. Among the exiles, that is, the exiles from Numenor, Remnants of the faithful who had not adopted the false religion, nor taken part in the rebellion. Religion as divine worship, though perhaps not as philosophy and metaphysics, seems to have played a small part, though a glimpse of it is caught in Faramir's r- remark on Grace at Meat in the Two Towers. That they, they pray before before the meal. One of the only other like obviously religious acts that we see people uh, people taking part in. Yeah, okay.
2: One question I had is how do the dwarves feel about Aule? Do they do they recognize? Do they know that he yes. created them? Yes. Do they worship uh, him?
0: Um, well, see, worship is tricky. Um, they pray they review they him, do him
4: but,
2: but in the, like the same way works, that in the same they. way that the Numenoreans worship Eru, and the, is it safe to say that they do worship Eru because yes, because he's yes. the one, he's their creator.
0: Yes, to, so Alle would
2: be the same to the dwarves, maker,
0: not creator. Well,
2: all right, maker,
0: but yeah, uh, because remember, I mean, in the story yeah. uh, with Ali and Yuvana um, I mean, it's you know, what was made the joke in, in, in class about the dwarves being the stepchildren of Luvatar, right? right? But the point is they're still, or perhaps perhaps the more, the more charitable, though less comical, uh, phrase would be adopted children
2: of is, And is is the, responsible
0: the, the image there. of adoption. Well, he's responsible for their making. Yes. But Luvatar is solely responsible for making them mm-hmm. into people. They were just...
2: Automatons? Yeah, they were just yeah. machines, essentially.
0: Robots. Uh, robots. Prior to, so no, they made them, and Aluvatar created them. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, so it is only by and it, I, the word adoption Tolkien uses in that passage. You we've know, got the, the the children of his design and the children of his adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so by b- making them adopted children, Aluvatar is basically creating them. Um, so they would stand in a similar relationship um, to. The rest of the children, um, uh, and therefore to God, and it wouldn't be appropriate for the, um, cause it, if you think about it, it would be, Ali knows that he screwed up, mm-hmm. um, and he talks that, he describes the dwarves as the work of his presumption, because in trying to make children, he was putting himself in Iluvatar's place, um, but he responds in humility when Iluvatar comes down and, um, implicitly rebukes him for it, um. And so, therefore, for the dwarves to revere Aule as if he were Iluvatar would be basically to recreate the, yeah. the the um, bad situation that Aule was repenting of. Okay. And certainly if he accepted their worship, he would be doing the same thing again that he had done, the same kind of presumption before. Um, so did they worship Iluvatar at all?
2: And all by the same no story? evidence
0: of it. But, again, there's no evidence with hobbits either. I was
2: going to say, do hobbits have any religion that's ever mentioned? Nope. Okay. Nope.
0: Nope.
4: I mean, especially with elves and with a lot of the humans, it seems very, like, spiritualistic as opposed yeah. to religious. Yeah. And they actually, like, I would compare them to the Laotians, which no one's going to know anything about last religion <laughs> <laughs> except me. And but um, but um, they worship ancestors. It's an ancestral thing. Um. And, like, all of the songs just made well, for the great heroes?
0: I would be careful here, though, because I, he, he is talking his clear. I mean, in, the, in, in that note that I just read, they're monotheistic. They're monotheistic. Um, but it doesn't enter the practice of their lives. Um, I mean, I think that well, the distinction he makes at the end there, and here he's talking about Men. He's not talking about hobbits explicitly, but I think that that's actually a really interesting one. Um, among the exiles, religion as divine worship, though perhaps not as philosophy and metaphysics, seems to have played a small part. That is, divine worship itself, like building a church, praying to, uh, 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 praying to worshiping God, seems to play a small part in their culture. But he suggests it does not, perhaps play a small part in their philosophy and metaphysics. That is, it impacts their worldview significantly. They still live in a firmly monotheistic worldview. And so therefore, to be connecting um, the spiritual outlook of hobbits or men or elves or any of them to non-monotheistic religions... Would seem to be inappropriate. That is uh, to things like ancestor worship or um, animism pantheism. or pantheism. Yeah, uh, they're clearly they operate from a monotheistic standpoint. They just don't. They just don't worship. They just don't have churches. And he says they're 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 primitive peoples. This is all and historically this is all very pre-Christian. You know, I mean that basically their society is like other, other pre-Christian Christian cultures. Society. Um, which also, many of which were, you know, some of which were spiritual or monotheistic, yes.
1: I feel like something uh, people you might be able to compare them to more easily is the early Celtic Christians. Because they've been, at this point, they've been converted to Christianity, so they're monotheistic. But the Celts also said, operated under the assumption that everything that you do is in some way... A prayer. So they would have a prayer for washing your hands, a prayer for preparing food. Everything, every how you live your life in every way is in itself a prayer to what created you.
0: Yeah, that, that explicit um, acts of outward worship, devotion, or piety don't factor in, but yet nevertheless it's still... Uh, the other thing, uh, the other the reference, which is still kind of a, a, a sort of a vagueish one um, that he makes in that uh, note, was um, th- though they know they are subjects of the king, he does not live in their country, nor have there any dwelling. That, of course, is the difference pre and post Christian, uh, post post Christianity, you know, post incarnation, uh, the king does live. In your country and have there a dwelling. Um, Prior to that, he doesn't. And so uh, there's some sort of differences in expectations. Um, You know, Tolkien didn't want and wasn't writing a story that was supposed to take place in our world. You know, that was supposed to be. And I, I know that the. I have heard. I've heard people use this set of observations that is the there aren't any churches and nobody seems to worship anybody um observations as basically attempted counter-arguments against tolkien's world is basically a christian world and and that and and you know that he his his christianity is a huge factor uh in his subcreation, but i think it's in the end a really shallow counter-argument against that um the philosophy and metaphysics of Tolkien's world are Christian. Um, the worship practices are not. But that's just because he did not want his subcreated, that in his subcreated world, people just running around doing imitations of, of, of Christian stuff, uh, to give a parallel. Um, in the Middle Ages, um, there was no concept of anachronism. So um, they didn't, they made when they told stories of the ancient past. They made people look just like them, and they didn't care. Um, so you read uh, a, a, Christ, uh, a medieval Christian version of a, an old Greek or Roman story, and they will often have them going to the temple, and they'll call it the temple of you know Jove or whatever because they know it's supposed to be there. That they were worshiping Jove but it, it will look and sound exactly like a church. I mean, it, it looks exactly like a cathedral. The services that they have look exactly like Christian services. Um, you know, It's basically like Christianity barely dressed up to look like something else because they're not making any attempt to actually integrate it or, or to actually represent Greco-Roman religion or anything else. And I, I think Tolkien would have been really uncomfortable writing something that kind of looked like that. Like, you know, I, I am theoretically... Writing about this this different world, this different society in which you know Christ has not come, there is no actual Christianity here, but I'm going to make them have churches and and do things which look exactly like Christian worship. That would have been a violation of his whole subcreative principle, like The Knight's Tale. Mm-hmm.
2: That was yes, what I was thinking of.
0: the Knight's mm-hmm. Tale, uh, Chaucer's Knight's Tale, I think is actually an interesting example because there you have. Something which is actually like pagan worship, um, the 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 pagan rites, the the um, the Greco-Roman pagan rites uh, in Chaucer's Knight's Tale, are some of the least anachronistic religious rites in the Middle Ages, uh, and it's remarkable when you compare in Chaucer's other writing. I mean, you compare uh, the temple scene uh, in Chaucer's Troilus and Crusade with the the sacrifice. Um, that Emily gives to Diana, and even the burial of our seat uh, at the end of it is is a very the the um, their uh, the cremation of 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 our seat was ex- was very close to a pagan ritual. and He even cites his source. And then there's the speech, the, the speech about it. Yeah, yeah, which is really great. Um, but anyway, to, uh, Tolkien clearly didn't want to be doing even that kind of thing. Um, he's not he's not doing. I'm going to try to be true to these other worships of, of these other ancient peoples. I'm going to try to like have something which is almost Christian, but um, but is dressed up in other clothing. Um, he didn't do that, and so instead, what he has is a world which is philosophically, metaphysically, very thoroughly Christian, um, but in which there's no worship because they are all they are all in in this sort of pre-Christian state um, culturally.
2: Is it possible that, in terms of this, Tolkien's making a statement on the difference between knowing and faith, like believing and knowing? Because there are elves not n- there are elves still alive who haven't been around since the formation of the world, but they've been to Valinor and back, and they've seen the Valar who have been around since the creation of everything and have
0: seen the One. Error. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's possible. I mean, in part, if you think about what is the, and this, of course, gets into uh deep Christian theological waters pretty quickly, but that is, you think about what is the point of religious worship at all. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the points of Christian religious worship would not apply to elves, especially to elves living in Valinor. Um, now, again, to actually, like, Define and make a, an exhaustive list of what is the point of Christian mm-hmm. worship uh, is I think beyond our purposes here. But 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 clearly, um, some of them anyway would not be required of elves. They're in a completely different place. They're immortal. You know their relationship with it, w- when they're living in Valinor, especially uh, uh, it's that situation is so different from the situation of either human beings in a pre-Christian era or human beings in a post-Christian era, that it's actually a little bit... There's no real reason even to expect that they would have any practices that would look like what we would identify as religious practices. And that's all we had time for on that day. There were still a few questions left over, which I brought to a second session recorded early this week, so that will be available soon. Also, remember that I will be having another Skype call-in session within 24 hours of the posting of this episode at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, June 3rd, and the recording of the last Skype session should also be posted within the week. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.